this morning, as we turn to hear from the Lord through his word, we're going to continue in our series. We're, we're in a series titled Devoted Finding Joy in the Spiritual Disciplines. And kids, you guys are going to remain in here with us this morning. Uh, you're going to be with us. I've got some things that I want to talk to you specifically about here in just a few minutes. But before we get there, I do have a little treat bag for you up here at the front. So if you are a little one and you know who you are not, little adults, all right? If you're a little one, come up here, grab a treat bag. All the kids come up. I've got a coloring page in here. I've got uh, a note page for taking notes with the sermon. I'll tell you some things to write down on there. And of course, you have uh, some treats in there because we got to make mom and dad jealous and wish they were kids too and got to have all the fun stuff you do. So everybody get a bag, get a bag, head back to your seats once you've got one because we're going to get started here very quickly. Everybody get one. Yeah. Oh, get a whole bag. Here. Here you go. Yeah, there you go. Take it all. Oh, you can take the page too. Take the page too. Here you go. Take all of it. Yeah, good job. You're going to be really sad if you don't have your pages to color. While they're heading back to their seats, let, re, let me remind you, if you've been in here for several weeks with this series, you know the, the goal of practicing spiritual disciplines, the whole thing we're aiming for in this series, the goal of practicing spiritual disciplines is the joy of flourishing in godliness. So as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, I, I want us to understand this as something that should bring us joy in our lives personally and will also bring joy to many others. You'll see what I mean as we get there this morning. We're in our fifth week of this series. The title of the message this morning is Active Evangelism. Active Evangelism. This is the spiritual discipline I want us to think about today in this this time of our fifth week in this series. So what I want to do as we talk about this topic today, there's, there's a lot of different ways we could kind of come in at this, but I want us to orient our thinking around a statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 24. And we're going to just look at one verse to start with, and then I'm going to unpack that with a couple applications in two distinct but, but very interconnected ways when we get to application. So to start, if you have your Bible, I'm going to keep coming back to this verse, so you might want to flip over there so you have it in front front of you. Kids, On you have two pieces of paper. You have a coloring page, and then you have a second paper that says sermon notes. And right on the left side of that page, it says uh, our main passage. You see where it says main passage? Here's what you want to write down in the main passage while the adults are turning there. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. So under book, write Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, verse 14. So write that down. That's our main passage for today. And I want you to remember that and to be able to help mom and dad remember it later. When they say, oh, I forgot. What verse did pastor talk about today? You're going to look at your paper and you're going to say, Matthew 24, 14. Okay. Matthew 24, 14 says this while you're writing it down. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's our text that we're going to look at today, Matthew 24, 14. There are two connected ways this morning that I want us to understand this text. And, and you're going to land on kind of one of the two sides. One of these is going to seem the more natural reading to you, the more natural tendency of how you want to understand this text. But both parts of it come out of this text. I'm going to push us towards living in not one side or the other of this text, but right in the middle doing both. And before I get there, though, let me point out something really, really important, kids, about this text. There's a chronological element. The word chronology means 
time. There's something that Jesus tells us about the flow of time and how history progresses right here. And I want us to all hear this because this should motivate us and it should caution us against error in our lives today. Jesus tells us, look here, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And he says, look there, and then the end will come. So to understand what Jesus is telling us here about all of history, about you want to know kind of the the end of the story, where is this all going? Here's what Jesus tells us, and here's the truth you have to have in your mind, a truth I've stressed time and time again to you, but I want to make it clear as we go into this. Listen, the mission of God will not fail. The mission of God will not fail. Our God, the God we sang about, how great he was, the God that, that's responding there to, to Job as we read to open the, the service, he's a God who never fails to accomplish his will. That's what makes him so different from us, so beautifully and wonderfully different from you and I. There's no risk with him. There is no possibility of him failing. There's no chance that God really wants to do something, but he's stopped by someone or something else outside of his power or control. Right? That's true of us, Right? Like, the, the kids who played basketball this weekend, they wanted to win all the games they went into, but, but that wasn't within their power to make happen. Some of them lost. They couldn't control it all, but that's not God. God doesn't go in and go, man, I'm really hoping I win this one, but let's see how the other team plays. No, God goes into this with, I will accomplish my purpose. I will do exactly what I have set out to do. Get this, Satan is not God's equal. He can't stop God from doing anything he wants to do. You and I, we are not God's equals. We are not going to stop God from doing whatever he wants. And put anything else in the category you want to. Governments, earthly leaders, the most powerful companies on earth, they are nothing compared to God. No one can stop him from doing what he wants. The scripture is so clear, so direct on this reality. Kids, on your sermon note page, there's a place for other passages that we talk about. You can write some of these down to remind mom and dad later. Psalm 115 Verse 3, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does, what's that word there? All that he pleases. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. If you're on our reading plan, then when you go to read this week, you're going to read this confession from Job, this great realization that comes from Job as he hears who God is and God asks him, hey, do you know all these things that I've done? Do you know all these things that are true about me? He responds in Job 42, verses 1 and 2, Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's the posture of humility we should have when we look at our God. His will is always accomplished. God does not fail to accomplish anything he wants to do. So keep this truth in mind and read again what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So many Christians in the generations before us and so many of us living right now have longed to see the end arrive. The longer, as Wendy was kind of saying, the longer we live, hopefully the closer we're getting to God. And what I find is the longer we live, the the more we're ready to go home. (laughs) 
And people in, throughout church history, in every single generation of Christians, they've longed for God to come or God to simply take them home. Even the Apostle Paul, at the time of writing the New Testament, he's wrestling with that exact same desire in Scripture. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24, Paul writes this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hear what he says. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You hear what Paul's saying? He's like, I, I want to go. I want to go home. I want to be with Jesus. And this is the Apostle Paul who's doing things, who's living in a faith and the miraculous work of God going through him in ways that you and I will never experience. Even then, Paul's going, the best this life has to offer, the best highs that ministry could offer, the nicest things this world has, they are nothing compared to home. I just want to go home. That's the longing of Paul. And that's been true of every generation of Christians as well. And it should be true of us today. We should be longing right now as we sit in this place and we have plans for lunch, we have plans for the next week, and maybe the next couple years we've got our life goals in front of us. We should still long to see the end come too. And I'm not saying that because we should have some, uh, some sense of we want to escape this world, right? This is not escapism. You shouldn't just long to go home to heaven because, well, this world's going to get tougher, in the next couple years, it looks like. We shouldn't want to go home now because, you know what, we really dislike the political or economic or secular society around us and how things are going. That's not the reason why we should want to go home. The reason we want the end to come, the reason we want to go home is because we want to be with Jesus because that's better. That's true life. Look, this is not our best life now. I've said that so many times to you because if you believe that, if you think this is it, this is the best life, you're aiming for your best life now, that's a foolish, unbiblical, depressing, and frankly ignorant thought. To try and obtain your best life now in this broken, fallen world that we live in, it's just vanity and ignorance. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know how great what lies ahead truly is. You think your best life is going to happen here because you can get a bunch of toys, because you can have a lot of money, because people around you like you, you have a nice home or some influence or control or power? You think that is what you were created for? No, you were made for so much more. To think that this is your best life now is a pathetically anemic view of what we were created for. Our best life is far beyond the things you can obtain here and now. We were made for something beyond this world. No matter how good, no matter how enjoyable, no matter how much nice things you can have, this is not what you were designed for alone. You should long to see the end come because in the end, when we go to heaven, we're with Jesus forever. And that's true life. Being with the one who's created us, the one who loves us perfectly, to have complete intimacy with him in our relationship because we're, we're there freed from sin. We're freed from sickness and death and all the things that surround us in this life. No matter how much nice things you are able to obtain in this life, all of it's still tainted by the reality of sin and sickness and death, right? No matter how rich you are, sickness still comes. Doesn't matter how many people like you, you will still die. Don't aim for this life 
alone. Aim for eternity where all things are made perfect again, where all the fallenness of this life is done away with, where all the things that are wrong right now will be made right, and where you and I will live knowing that this life was truly just a pale shadow, a preface to the reality that we were created for. The end of our lives here are really just like us turning the page from the introduction and finally beginning to experience the real story. That's the, the imagery that C.S. Lewis uses. The final lines of the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia series resonates with my soul so deeply every time I read it. Here's what Lewis writes about the end of the stories and about the, what is about to come. It says, the things that begin to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That idea, the way Lewis expresses it, it just it makes my heart long for the end of the introduction. Like I want to get there, chapter one, in eternity with him, what he has in store for me to go where things are not broken anymore, where everything is so great and beautiful that I can't even begin to really grasp it here and now to finally be where I can look at Jesus, my Savior, the one who died for me, and see his face and see the scars and see the price he paid for me, and I can fall on my face at his feet and worship him in awe. That's what I want. That's what I'm longing for the end to come. Christians, we should all long for that day. And it's not escapism. It's pursuing the greatest gift that God has promised to his people, the gift of us getting to be with him there, all things made right forever. That's the place of true joy. The, the goal of what we're doing here now, the goal of implementing spiritual disciplines, the goal of pursuing him in our lives, the goal is joy, and that's where it's truly fully found. That's where fullness of joy is. That's where we're really flourishing, where we come alive in everything that God has intended for us to be. We'll be like him. We'll be made new and cleansed of our sin, healed of our brokenness. That's the place where we obtain what we're aiming for here and now, more than just longing for that day to come, though, my friends, we should work towards seeing it come too. So what I mean by that is this. There are many, many false teachers who claim to know the time and the day of Christ's return. And the Bible makes it so emphatically clear we cannot know that information. And the Bible goes even further and tells us anyone who tells us they know that information, they are lying false teachers, they are false prophets who should be ignored by us and called out for their lies. That's what they are. Jesus doesn't tell us a day and time when the end will come, but he tells us what will happen before the end comes. He gives us this glimpse into the path that history will take in Matthew 24, 14. He tells us what will be accomplished before the end comes, right? Matthew 24, 14, look at it again. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, not before then, then the end will come. Understand, this should be a motivation for us. 
If you long for eternity, if you long to go home, if you long for the end to come, to be with God, to enter into that great story that he has for us in eternity, then you should be fully committed to the mission and you should be actively engaged in evangelizing the nations. Because God's not going to give up on this promise. He is certainly not going to fail to do what he said he would do. The gospel will be preached and all of his people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, according to Revelation 7, 9, they will be saved. Jesus won't give up on what he said he will accomplish. There will never be a point in history where Jesus is just going to look down and go, yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, looks good. Most nations heard. Almost every tribe was reached. The gospel went into, wow, a lot of different languages. Good job, guys. You know what? Let's wrap this up. Let's call an end to it. That won't happen. No, in John 6, Jesus tells us, John 6, 39, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, I'm not going to lose any of them. No one, not a single one. All that the Father has given to him, God says he will save all of his people and will not come until he accomplishes missions. The gospel will reach every tribe, language, and nation. That's the fulfillment of the promise. If you remember just back into December, we kept looking at one text, Daniel 7, this prophecy about the Son of Man and the kingdom. Daniel 7.14 tells us, to him was given a kingdom and glory, or dominion, a glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hear this, Jesus is not going to settle for less than that. His kingdom cannot be destroyed and it cannot be lessened. He will ensure that his gospel is proclaimed to all of his people from all nations and tribes and languages and all of his people. They will be saved. His kingdom will be established just as he promised. So we should hear that clearly and Christians, it should cause us to rejoice. Jesus will not fail in his mission to establish his kingdom. So if we want to apply this truth right now, because this truth, it should motivate us in this moment, and it should motivate us during the week when we get out of here. The truth should inform our lives, and it should impact how we live, because we are, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, we're wired to long for eternity. God's placed that in our hearts, and as a Christian, that should be growing in you, that should be resonating with you, you should long to get there, and if you long to get there, then this truth that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom should motivate how you're living your life right now. Christians, we are called to be a part of the proclamation of the gospel, and we have opportunities before us right now that we need to be intentional with. The first thing we need to see out of this text this morning is that you and I are called to be witnesses personally right where we are. All of us who take the name of Christ are called to tell others about him. It's not just the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of the full-time missionary. This command is given to every single Christian whom God saves. 1 Peter 3.15 is written to you and to me equally. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter is talking to every single one of us. He says, listen, you are charged by God to honor him by always being ready to proclaim the gospel, always being ready to share when someone says, how are you getting through this? Why, why are you the way you are? 
How are you feeling about what's happening in your life? You're to point the conversation to Jesus, you and me equally. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. I guess just lucky, I guess. No, that's, that's not the answer. The answer is, here is the reason I have hope, Jesus Christ. It's not as complicated as we want to make it. You have opportunities all the time to do this. The question is, do you see them and do you seize upon them? God expects you and I, we will talk about him. We will share the gospel. The Great Commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it applies to every single one of us, not just the apostles. Jesus said there, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, don't act like the promise of Christ's presence with you will apply to you if you think the command to tell others about him doesn't. This is all together. The promise he's with you always is for you and the command go tell others about me is for you too. These both apply to us. So like I've said so many times before, you must understand this. God has placed you here, right here and right now by his divine hand as part of his divine plan to spread the gospel in this place at this time. God is the one who has led you to have every single relationship you have, every connection you have in this community. That's not happenstance. That's not luck. That's not chance. That's God's providence putting you here, building those connections because he intends for you to share the name of Jesus. Acts 17, 26, I come back to it a lot. God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It's not a surprise that you live here. God put you here. God brought me here at this time in this season to accomplish the mission of sharing the name of Christ. We have a purpose So before you and I ever think about trying to reach the globe, realize you and I, we are put here to reach here with the name of Jesus. The people around you are priority one for you. You're part of his plan for Philadelphia and Palmyra and any other community that you spend time in. But let me turn to that second part this morning, that global part, because it's important for us to engage in that as well. And we need to be intentional about it because it's a big task that God has called us to be a part of in terms of global mission. Now, the, the, the verse that, that we're kind of drawing the, the goal from, right, is there in Revelation where God says that every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages is the, the target. Right? He doesn't love Americans more than someone else. He doesn't love Israelites more than someone else. He's got the whole world in mind here, every nation, all tribes, all peoples and languages, and, and how God defines that only he can fully know. But many Christians, especially those of us who are mindful about the importance of missions, have worked really hard to try and help Christians realize the scope of the task before us. Because here's the reality. The the reality is many of us in the West, especially those of us who live here in America, we kind of assume on some level that the gospel has already spread to all nations and all peoples already. Like we kind of operate with that as an assumption because we're so used to seeing churches all over the place, right? Because we, we can get the Bible at Walmart or Target. I mean, any bookstore you go to, right, it's, it's there. It's easily accessible if you really want to find it. You know that the Bible is accessible on your phone, on your tablet. You can go online, on your computer, and access the Word of God. And we kind of think, well, 
I mean, come on, it's 2021. Surely that's, that's the case for everybody, right? It's not. It's not. Our ease of access to the Bible, our, our ability to interact with other Christians is not true of everyone in every place around the world. In fact, it's not true for a lot of the world today. So many missiologists have focused for quite a long time on helping us understand we need to look at the world not just in terms of national boundaries. We need to look at people groups. Because people groups can exist within national boundaries and yet be their own type of culture, their own insulated group that, that isn't the same as everyone else around them. The, the definition of a people group is an ethnic linguistic group with a common self-identity that is shared by the various members. And you're like, huh, yeah, that's what I would have defined it as, right? Put more simply, a people group is simply this. People who share a common ethnic background, language, and would identify with one another. A group of people that, that, that would say, yeah, I, I belong to this, this group here. I'm part of this community over here. Like We understand one another. We kind of have the same interests, the same life going on here. That's, that's simply what a people group is. So if we take this idea of a people group and we apply it to the world, the, the Joshua Project, for instance, would identify there's about 10,500 distinct people groups in the world today. The International Missions Board, through a, a, a research arm that they have called peoplegroups.org, says they, they have identified probably about 12,000 people groups in the world today. So somewhere between 10,500 and 12,000 distinct people groups exist in the world today. And regardless of which number you want to pick there, both groups agree on the fact that there are about 7,400 people groups that are unreached. What that means is there are less than 2% evangelical Christians in that group. 2%. Two out of every 100 people. If they're below that marker, we consider them unreached. And I, and I look at that statistic and I go, okay, so three? <laughs> three out of 100 and we're going to go, hey, they're reached. I mean, that doesn't seem like a huge change, but this is the technical statistical classification today. That threshold is so, so small, but for... 7,400 people groups, they don't even have that number of Christians there. So we can make that a little more tangible, right? If we had 2%, around 2% Christians in Philadelphia, we'd have, what, four people? Right? Like four Christians in Philadelphia. Or over to Palmyra, 70 Christians in Palmyra. What do you think the likelihood would be for someone to hear about Jesus if there's only that few Christians around? And here's what's worse, though. 7,400 groups are classified as unreached groups, but over 3,200 people groups are unreached and unengaged. What unengaged means is there is no church planting strategy there is no Bible in their language. There is no active engagement to get the gospel to them right now. Like we know they're there. We know where they are. And there's no Christian work going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. 3,200 groups. Now you're thinking, okay, but how big are these groups? Here's what this means. If we just talk about individuals, unreached people, there are somewhere between 3 and 4 billion unreached people in the world today. People who live in an area with less than 2% Christians in their people group. You want to talk about people unengaged? Over 300 million people are unengaged right now. Like if we know that, then can we agree we've got a lot of work to do? 
A lot of work to do. And like I said before, I, I don't know for sure how God classifies every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages in his mind. I guarantee you it's not the 195 nations that the UN recognizes today. That's not the extent of his classification. And probably the IMB and the Joshua Project are not perfect in their numbering either. But the good news for us is that God does know where all his people are, and he knows all his people personally, and he said he will not lose any of them, and he will not fail in the mission to send the gospel to all nations and tribes and languages, right? So while you and I may not know how the gospel is going to get to some of these groups, we can look at them and see from a human perspective they're unengaged. We should know that Jesus does have a plan, and he will save all his people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And here's what it means for us Maybe it's be through you and I now becoming aware of those peoples and how he intends to get the gospel to them. Maybe it's you and I looking at one of those 3,200 people groups and saying, we will take responsibility to get the gospel to them. Until the mission is accomplished, we have an important work to do, don't we? So we need to engage in active evangelism personally locally, right here, with the people that we know around us. Because despite classifying this area as a reached people group, we know many people who do not believe in the gospel. So we can't go, hey, ah, they're, they're, in the, they're in one of the good ones, check. Green area on the map, we're good. We don't need to share here. No, we do. You know we do. You have people in your life who still need the gospel. So we have to start here. We have to be personally engaged in actively evangelizing this place. But we also need to keep this global perspective in mind. Kids, this is something I really want to empower you to do as well. Did you know that you can actually be a part of helping people come to know Jesus, even people who live in faraway places and who speak different languages than us? You can be a part of fulfilling this mission. And so what I'm going to do this year, throughout the whole course of this year, is I'm going to challenge all of the kids in our church to invest in missions through a program called BGMC. Now, some of you adults, you may be familiar with BGMC. For those of you who are not, here's what BGMC is. BGMC is a national program designed to challenge and empower kids in churches just like ours to learn about and directly support missions work all around the world. BGMC helps develop resources. They fund translation projects. They buy supplies. They help with uh, putting support into schools. They do specific outreach and compassion works all around the world. BGMC funds are used to buy all kinds of things that missionaries need on the field, all for the purposes of doing discipleship and evangelism. And it's all funded by kids, just like the kids, you kids, sitting here today. Check this out. In the 71 years that BGMC has been in existence, over $162 million has been raised from kids just like you. That second picture that I gave you this morning, you had your sermon note page, and that second page that you have has a little guy on it. His name is Buddy Barrel. He's the mascot for BGMC, something you're going to be seeing here around our church a little bit more. In 1949, when BGMC was launched, it was the way they had to get supplies to missionaries overseas was they packed everything they could into these wooden barrels, put them on ships, and sent them all around the world. And so Buddy Barrel, he was created to kind of be the, the mascot for BGMC all around the world. And he's got a few updates. He looks a little different now than he used to in 1949. I think he's aged pretty well. But he's the symbol of BGMC all around the world. 
And more than just giving you that coloring page so that you can get excited about BGMC, I've got some other things I want to give you this morning as well. Do you guys want some things, kids? You want some BGMC things? Cool. Here's some things I have to give you so you can get excited about BGMC and what you can do to help the gospel go all around the world today. Every one of you that are here today, I have a nice BGMC bag on it. So you've got Buddy and you've got BGMC, and here's our challenging kids to reach the world. This is what you are challenged to do. This is what you are going to do this year. And I'm not just giving you a bag. I'm giving you a bag filled with some pretty cool things. Inside the bag are things that you can keep in your room or around your house to remind you of the mission that you have, that we, I have, and that we're going to accomplish through stuff like BGMC. So inside the bag is a BGMC bracelet. There's a world keychain. There's a BGMC sticker with Buddy on it. You know, you could put it on a journal. You could put it on your wall. You could put it on your door, your sister's mouth. No, not that last one. It's something that I want to see come back that's in your bag too, though, is your own BGMC lanyard and badge pin. Check this out. In every bag, you'll have your own BGMC lanyard, and here's the first pin, a little badge pin with Buddy on it. And by the end of the year, this lanyard, I want you to bring it back every first Sunday of the month. This lanyard's not going to look like this at the end of the year. It's going to look like this. Check out all these badges you got on here. All these different places that you're going to learn about throughout this year. When you come, first Sunday of every month, Malia and Stephanie are going to be doing kids' church, and they're going to be talking to you about BGMC. They're going to talk to you about a new place around the world that you can help support by bringing your missions offering for BGMC. You'll get a new badge, and you'll get to add it to your lanyard. So wear your lanyard first Sundays of every month and get your new badge. Some of the places you're going to learn about this year are Taiwan, Burkina Faso, Brazil, Spain, Africa's Hope, Cuba, Costa Rica, Kenya, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Europe's Children, and the Native American Fellowship. You're thinking, wow, sounds like a lot. It is a lot, and you're going to learn all about it this year. But the most important item for you in your BGMC bag is your very own buddy barrel. Everybody see one of these? You're going to have one of these. This is the most important item in your bag because it's what you do with this buddy barrel that will help change lives all around the world. The buddy barrel is where you are going to work to collect money for missions, and then you're going to bring that back to the church. The first Sunday of every month, you're going to bring back your buddy barrel here, and you're going to bring it to church. Now, wait a second. That's, that's not what I want. You see, the, you see the buddy barrel? This isn't what I want your buddy barrel to look like when you come back. What should your buddy barrel look like? Oh, it should look like that. Yeah. So that's what your buddy barrel should look like when you come to church the first Sunday of every month. Put your loose change in here. Put dollars in here. Ask mom and dad, how can you work to earn some extra money? Maybe you've got some money in your room right now. You can put it in there. Start to fill it up. You bring your buddy barrel back with this money. And every first Sunday of the month, we're going to collect that. We're going to count it all up. We're going to send it to BGMC headquarters. And from there, it's going to go all around the world so that you can be a part of helping people in different languages, in different places around the world, come to know about Jesus. So we're going to start focusing on this the first Sunday of every month, which means next Sunday, you got to take your bear home today, and next Sunday, you got to bring it back. Now, I know, I know, you've only got one week, so it's going to be hard to fill it up. That's okay. Put how much ever you can in there. Do whatever you can this week to get some in there. Bring it back, and we're going to celebrate together how much ever we've raised to start with. I know one week's not a long time. So here's what we're going to do. Adults, next Sunday, when our kids bring our BGMC barrels back, I'm going to give them one last chance 
to get a little bit more in their BGMC barrels from you. <laughs> so bring some loose change, bring some dollar bills, be ready because you're going to have all of these very cute, adorable faces looking at you and in a totally non-guilt-inducing way, they're going to say, don't you want to help me tell people about Jesus all around the world? So come prepared next week because we're going to take up an offering for BGMC. We're going to collect it and we're going to help people all around the world through you kids come to know about Jesus. BGMC is a fun way for our kids to begin engaging with and personally supporting missions. But everyone, listen to me carefully. I am really serious about us leaning into missions and being actively engaged in evangelism this year in 2021 across the board. Not just the kids, but every single one of us stepping out and doing more to see the name of Christ spread around the world. Locally, personally, I'm praying that this is the year, 2020 is the, 2021 is the year that you share the gospel like you never have before. And through the new opportunities we're exploring, through our supported missionaries that we have at the church, and through programs like BGMC, I want us to make 2021 a year of greater outreach than ever before. And not just with financial funds, but also with our prayers, with us being intentional, being engaged in this. The words of Jesus are spoken to us in Matthew 9, 37, 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're going to be praying that this year. We're going to ask the Lord to not only send laborers around the world, but to use us as his laborers here too. We know the importance of this. Matthew 24, 14 tells us the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's the mission Jesus says he will accomplish before we get to go home. And we know the good news is the mission will succeed. John tells us in his vision of the end, Revelation chapter 7, 9 to 12, after this, I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So let's do our part. Let's do our part in heading towards that day where we get to be there worshiping God, seeing the results of his promises fulfilled. We will stand among people from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language group, people that we will have helped reach with the gospel. And together we will worship Jesus, our God and Savior, who did exactly what he said he would do, who accomplished exactly what he said his mission was to do. And we will worship forever with brothers and sisters trusting in the same gospel of salvation by Christ alone that we cling to today. Let's pray as we close this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you so much for the promise you have given us and the fact that you will accomplish what you have said you are doing. And you've invited us in to be a part of this great mission. Lord, it's not as if you need us here in Nelsonville. It's not as if any of us in this room are the key to making everything work the way it should. No, you, you are perfectly powerful and capable all on your own. And yet you tell us that the, the way the world will be reached is, is through us. 
It's through us being a part of the mission of sharing the gospel locally with people that we know. It's, it's through us living lives that are intentionally focused on equipping and resourcing those who are around the world right now telling people about your name. And maybe it's through us looking at one of those groups right now that are unreached and unengaged and saying we want to see those people have the same access to the word that we do, have the same ability to hear the gospel that we do. Maybe, Lord, it's through us that you would bring the end closer as we're part of your mission, working alongside you in awe of you doing what only you can do as hearts are changed and people come to trust in you. Lord, I pray this year would be a year of great evangelistic work for this church. I pray for our kids, Lord, that you would give them a heart and a passion and excitement for missions. Lord, I pray through, through BGMC and what we're, we're about to engage in with them, Lord, that, that we would have generous givers in our children, kids who begin to orient their lives right now around how can I make sure others hear the name of Jesus. We thank you for this time that you've given us today. We thank you for your, your great love for us, a chance to worship you. We thank you for a chance to come together again tonight and to proclaim your goodness and to sing and to celebrate with one another. Pray that you would bless that time as well. It's in your beautiful name that we pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.